Hopefully that was loud enough trying to hold my beer up next to my headphones and pop this thing. No, but it definitely uh, was. back part two, part dose, uh, with Mr. Shaq from the East Coast. Um, so we tried to do it a couple days ago, but schedules and all this didn't really work out. But finally, thanks to the miracle of technology and iPhones, which we were all just complaining about a minute ago, <laughs> um, we're able to uh, reconnect and get down and have some more fun just talking about random stuff. And there's been some things pop up recently in the past week and really day in the activity that we can hit on. So welcome back, Dan. Thank you. It uh, <laughs> Yeah, failed last time. Um, I couldn't muster a... A thought at that moment so it's leg I, uh, day, man. I thought it's like day i'll get you it was the legs it was just, you know i just get beat up during the day and then it's like you know i'm not gonna be very interesting and we like sometimes i'll get caught and like like this week i have three or four calls at night so it's like well i better keep thinking of stuff to say <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure I'm sure we'll come up with plenty of stuff. But before we get into all that good stuff, welcome everyone to the Aged Out Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, as always, Mike Fantini, and with me is Evan Wall. And as we said earlier, we're back with part two with Dan Shack. So before we dive in, make sure you hit the subscribe button on the YouTube channel. Uh, follow us on Spotify or Podbean. Uh, follow us on Instagram, like the Facebook page. You know, we all know the social media drill by now. So I'll let uh, Evan and Dan just jump in and we'll go. Yeah, man. Some of the things that we didn't really get to talk about last time, um, which always happens. Mike and I get on the end of the podcast with whoever, or we finish and we hit stop recording. And they're like, oh, man, we forgot to talk about this. We forgot to talk about that. Or we meant to say this. So never fails. Um but just some change-ups in the activity and stuff going on, uh, one of which is the symbol line thing, which because other information has come out, that's kind of gone away, uh, which is also very indicative of society in general, the newest, freshest debate or thing to be upset about. It's one-week yeah, news cycle, always. Pretty much. Crossman, symbol line decided they were not going to field one. Um, scouts did theirs very subtly. They basically just announce their percussion staff and if you look on the staff list there's obviously no symbol text so i'm assuming they're not marching a symbol line either mandarins i think bailed um but yeah it was well, kind of crazy i first of all i mean it seems like the floodgates just got opened up right and then it was like oh this is uh it's a good time to break the news i guess on the more like global level everyone's sort of jumped on that trend which yeah i don't know i don't know if maybe it's ripping the band-aid off for dci or something um i think i will say you know like whatever each caption head and designer wants to do they can do and who is it for us or anyone to impose on these people that we are supposed to be understanding are the experts in our field so I trust those expert opinions. What I will say is letting people register and pay money, understanding they're going to come out and try out, and then pulling the rug out. I think that's where I was like, okay, like that's. Did that happen? You know, not. Yeah, I think it did. I think it did. I, I could not attest to specifically who. I would rather not, even if I probably yeah, could fine. say. But um, yeah, I think there was like, okay, I'm going to register. I'm going to go out for symbols. I was like, oh. 
you know, here's the money back in your bank account. We don't have a symbol on it. The timing is is crucial in this activity, and honestly, because you know, the season is all year. So it's like there's no lull, there's no downtime. If you lag at well, you get caught with your pants down. I think that potentially happened for a couple of organizations. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, the 24-hour news cycle, it's more like, you know, 15 minutes or something. It's like this, you know, I mean, it's the same thing with the GoFundMe thing. It's like if everything is news, if everything is outrage, then nothing is. It's like, do we really flatten everything into one kind of reactive sphere all at a 10 you know so Mm -hmm. that happens and then it like minimizes the importance of other things matter and then it's hard to tell the difference that's very accurate there was i understood and i definitely can sympathize with people being upset Uh, a lot of it seemed to come from crossman symbol alumni obviously those people had a great experience in what they were able to do and how they were able to participate with the Crossman as an organization, but they were launching like petitions to get it reinstated and stuff. And I get it that an organization has had a symbol line for years and it's kind of a tradition, but with like the way staffs change and people are in and out that are different in that position, as far as designing that and arranging for that, it's kind of crazy to think that you would want to force someone to do something that obviously they don't feel comfortable doing or want to do. (laughs) So, right. And well, we, we rely on tradition when it's convenient to us and then we get rid of it when it's not, when it's inhibiting us. And it just seems like we get to pick and choose when certain things like tradition, for example, are important, you know, like we talked about last time a little bit, but you know, every drum corps is trying to survive and upgrade themselves and, figure out how to stay competitive and all of those things, which are already really hard. It's like, well, we undo lots and lots of tradition. The Crossmen moved from the Allentown area to San Antonio for their economic survival. And I don't think that tradition should get in the way because tradition would ensure their demise. Right. So in that instance, because of the economic incentive, it's like, Oh yeah, no, no, go to San Antonio. So the core can exist like that better than the opposite it's like you know so we we get to cherry pick when we invoke arguments like tradition because i don't see people pointing to tradition as the reason why we should keep doing things you know speaking of other things that are popping up in the news like well this is traditional drum corps it's like well it's problematic like we're seeing where it's not working right so um maybe i'm trying to stretch that too far but you know it's tradition really everything is that all we've got is that all this is about i don't think so no i agree completely i mean just like you said you're cherry picking what you want to use as an argument just to suit your side of the argument which is fine and and like you said people take it like all the way to a 10 it's like well crossman deciding they didn't want to feel the symbol line is not defcon five or whatever the highest level of that is uh but i i saw people like Oh, cutting the crossman symbol line is the exact same as cutting the Vanguard snare line. I'm like, no, it's is, not. Is it? Is no, it? No, really? not at all. I mean, I saw that too, I and it. I don't think so. No, um, not I mean, to downplay <laughs> what that section's value is to say one is more valuable than the other, but I'm going to say that one is more valuable 
in achievement. Like you're talking about a group that has won like three France Hivers in a row. Uh, but I mean, anyway, the, the way I look at it is every drum corps has the right to choose their instrumentation within the rules of the activity. If they want to have seven snare drums versus nine, they're allowed to do that. If they want to have a certain number of trumpets, or if they, for whatever reason, decide, yeah, we're not going to march trumpets this year, they have every right to do that. So it's just, they can do what they want. And if you don't like it, sorry. I mean, they have their reasons, and they don't really have to justify it, in my opinion. Yeah, well, we are at a really interesting sort of space with the drum corps thing because it's, you know some percentage a competitive athletic sport with spectators and it's some percentage like music education with quotes around it right so you know let's talk about like any other sport fans are just recklessly weighing in talking about decisions as if it really affects their lives you know like i mean people really hate tom brady for people really hate the Yankees, people really hate whatever. They have literally real feelings about those people or those organizations. Yet, because we're in a system that's all really designed around education on some level, it gets really weird. I mean, I, I think it's a good example I could think of is, uh, is Ian Grom. I've been seeing pop up on Facebook just tearing people down who are essentially criticizing kids like high school kids on flow marching and ian is like hey like just to keep in mind this is all for the purpose of education and i fully agree and i actually like that of your figure and activity is putting out there eloquently as well and then at the same time it's like you know if we like not that if we allow that kind of vitriolic behavior but rather it's participation and in that way isn't participation just innately like any press is good press right so i don't know it's like we simultaneously want to shield our kids from the truths of of the trolls and the that vitriolic spew yet one the kids are on the internet like they know what's out there probably better than we do and two like that's a part of being in a popular kind of paradigm right so we like want to grow the activity but don't fully want to grow it I yeah, don't I don't know if that's yeah. true. That's just my that's my take on that a little bit. I think it's funny you brought up the the flow marching thing because flow marching I believe is based in Austin somewhere it's in down Texas. there. Or, it's definitely uh, in Texas. It's their headquarters down there, and they did a bunch of podcasts or breakdowns or spent the days with Vandergriff down there, and they were posting all that stuff. And of course, Vandergriff is nasty good. Um, and people are just ripping those kids apart for playing match grip. I'm like, right. these these are like 14 year old kids who, first of all, are playing really well at this activity that we all like to watch, especially for high school kids. But we like are upset with how it looks. Like, just close your eyes then if you don't yeah, want. Just like, listen. it sounds great. <laughs> they sound fantastic. Right. It's, just... it's you know I. I, it's like I'm torn between ways. It's like, you know, first of all, like the people that are complaining about the match grip thing, they just don't have ears. They're not thinking about the sound first. They're just like snare drumming supposed to be traditional grip. Speaking of tradition, like, you yeah. know, yeah. what a perfect 
place to point, right? It's like the fact that they're playing match grip is so that the program can grow and grow, and it definitely works. It's tried and true. We can point to multiple pieces of evidence, whether it be Dartmouth, whether it be Chino using flubs and making that accessible, like that has worked. So that's great. And I think that if you are getting upset about match grip, like you have nothing else to think about in your life, but that, I mean, that's just insane, obviously. And then it's also like, well, like with the exposure that flow marching has been providing, like comes this type of criticism and like to block that out is like you could you could think about where that's headed like i i don't know that totally like deleting those kind of comments or trying to fully shield kids who maybe want to be in drum courts like you know what happens when you're in the lot at, at finals and you're ticking like people call that out i mean that's can be the reality of what we do so not to say that the internet and finals lot are the same forum necessarily, but how far do we shield people from the reality of some of the activity that, you know, I don't know that we, these, these are things that we value in other kind of sports, right? Like if we're not allowed to weigh in our opinion about football, it's like, it's kind of boring. That's part of what people do. Right. So I just, I don't know. It's like, we want more and less all, all the time. Yeah. I think, uh, for me, the biggest difference, obviously, you're talking about people want to weigh in. We have like ESPN, which is a whole channel dedicated to just analyzing and picking apart athletes and sports and stuff like that. Um, I think the most annoying thing for me is typically the people that are so upset or like butthurt about it probably don't really know what they're talking about. So like I read these comments and of course me – with the knowledge that I have, I'm reading, I'm like, well, this person is clearly not educated on this activity or else they wouldn't have even made this comment. Um, so to say that we should remove those comments to shield kids, I don't think that's the appropriate answer either. I mean, that creates like a anti-immune disorder for like social interaction, in my opinion, kind of linking those. Like you're just, you have to build up your tolerance somehow. <laughs> so... Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I I think they're, you know, I think we let these people do this kind of spew, and it's when you're on Facebook, you know, it's your name. It's not, it's not like Twitter. It's like not anonymous. You can go in there, and it's like you know, let them get teared down. I mean, if that's what they're, if they want to put their voice out there, then this forum and people who honestly have more insight can jump in there you know and like we all we don't we need to present ourselves in a certain way because this is about education and these are nonprofit organizations and we all care about our perception and all that good stuff but it's like you know i respect ian grom for jumping on there and honestly shredding those dudes so i yes you know and i think that's a better alternative than just deleting it you know i think that becomes a problem in itself um about what 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 we really want it's like do we want more observation and do we want more interaction or do we want less so um it can get weird it can get kind of dicey bow show uh well that was a pretty uh 
solid uh, segue from pathway there from symbol lines onto uh, social etiquette yeah, <laughs> on right. social media. But uh, some other we'll kind of hard cut here. Some other interesting news uh, that happened within the last week or so was the announcement that came out of the Dynasty uh, camp saying that they are going inactive. They're no longer going to be producing drums. Um, and then the keyboards that they partner with, Bergerald or Bo- I don't what have you say that. I think it's probably German. Um, said that they're going to stop production basically also. And so I was looking down the list. I was like, all right, who do I even know that used Dynasty? And like looking down, obviously the big name is Vanguard, which personal opinion, I would love to hear Paul Rennick's lines play on Pearl Drums again if that happens. Um, and then SCVC, I guess. And then on the indoor side for world class, it was like Atlanta Quest and Minnesota Brass. And I was like, man, there are not as many groups using this company as there used to be. So I was wondering if that was part of it or just they're having trouble filling orders or who knows. I think yeah, it I, might yeah. come from Mapex, ahead, Mapex cannibalizing their, their business. Because Mapex did a redesign, came in hard and fast, and gave groups a hell of a deal on their equipment to get as much of it as possible out there at all levels of the indoor and outdoor activity. So I don't think it's a result of Pearl or Yamaha doing anything different. I think the new kid on the block, Mapex, should, probably came in and just said, nope, ours are better here, and we'll give them to you for dirt cheap to prove it to you. And it's worked. Yeah, that might be true. Um, and there's no rules to this in terms of like every single group can have Pearl. Every single group can have Yamaha. Like there's no limitation or restriction on what we use. I mean, we wouldn't think it was weird if Adidas sponsored all of the NFL. That's going to be just my, my metaphor for today for some reason, but that's not weird to us at all yet. You know, we want to see all these groups use these different brands, whatever. And really, it's all about the tuning anyway, right? But the biggest thing is the top groups serve as kind of the, you know, advertising. And I mean, it's kind of an odd situation. Um, You know, Vanguard just did a three-peat in drums, right? But I mean, that doesn't really mean that Dynasty is just going to sell, 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 sell. You know, they're making this custom stuff. Paul has a custom snare drum. Um, you know, they have their tuning scheme just locked down pat that, that really works with their approach. And I'd be hard-pressed to see another group sound like that on Dynasty drums. I don't think it's that easy. It's not that easy to sound like that on any drums, though. I agree. I would love to see a Pearl resurgent in, in that area, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's where they go with that. Um but it's like every group can use Vic Firth. Every group could use Innovative. This is all like taste and this is all just support and what companies put themselves out there. But um, yeah, I mean, Dynasty's sort of had a lot of ebb and flows and and less groups using them. And, you know, it's just like a it's like if it's not out there, it's not out there. And it's sort of perpetual, like oh, see Vanguard and everyone else is using Pearl Gamaha. That's maybe by just sheer volume that's where this problem starts to rise i don't know about mapex and dci though i don't know how many people use them a lot of the open class groups and lower tier world class groups i think are starting to use them and have more and more of them each summer 
And there might be uh, I know, some like, top Matrix 12 groups. I know Matrix is using them in WGI because Matrix switched from Dynasty a few years ago. Um, I, I think the big thing is that, like Dan was saying, the groups for WGI and DCI are not making those companies money on their direct sales. No. They're really just using it for advertising and marketing to get the name out there. I mean, Dynasty's definitely not making money from Vanguard off the drums they're using. They're probably just like, here, use our drums. Advertise for right. us. Right. In fact, I mean, groups like that, usually it's like the drums are free, then the organizations resell them, and they keep that. However minimal that might be, they sell it. So the, the top groups are probably getting floated these drums, right? So they're yeah. actually might be losing money in some way, um, like actually. And then if there's like some turnaround via the that comes through sure but it's it's not concrete in that way there's a lot of risk and you know like like pearl and i mean yamaha's marching sector is minute in the scheme of the company itself Mm -hmm. so yeah they're making jet skis they're making pianos they're making everything yamaha makes tons of stuff (laughs) right and they this is just a drop in the bucket right and then pearl has just you know all their mallet stuff i mean don't they make horns right adams um in holland so they're doing they're doing work a lot of work outside the marching sector right whereas dynasty do they they don't make drum sets no if they make concert equipment i doubt it right so i mean there you have it right it's like only right so you know True. That, what, Very true. What does that say? I, you know, what like I wonder what that means. I don't exactly know, honestly. Do you think? And there's probably no way to know this, obviously, right now. But it wouldn't surprise me if they come back out with drums in a few years with a redesign, kind of what Mapex did, and try to come out swinging again and kind of say, "All right, well, we're the the low man on the totem pole. Let's take a step back." reevaluate, redesign, re-engineer this stuff to be more competitive and then try again. I don't think, well, me personally, I don't think that their drums were not competitive because like Dan said, a lot of that comes down to tuning and they did redesign their snare drums years ago. I mean, obviously you can make them sound good. There are groups out there that clearly make them sound good and I would argue sound better than Mapex personally in my personal preference. Um, I've yet to hear a Mapex outdoor line sound good ever. Um, or at least have any sort of projection to their to their drumline. Um, I mean, even you know, even the Blue Devils tuning stuff. It's it, I think they're still struggling through this turnover with System Blue. Whereas like the Dynasty tuning sounds great. I mean, Vanguard sounds good. They win. So I don't. It's necessarily just a quality problem. I think it's it's like so many factors. You know, it's just like this cycle of only a couple groups use it. Then they only turn over so many, like in the fall to new to high schools and indoor groups. And then it's like just this ongoing thing. So I don't know. I don't really know too much about like the business side of stuff. Honestly, like probably there could be like internal business things with like a distributor or a supplier. I mean, who knows? I don't know. Can I, I'm going to take this opportunity to address a side note that we've said a couple times. 
can we talk about how crazy it is that Vanguard's won drums the last three years straight? Like, uh, I mean, it definitely nuts. doesn't seem to be happening as much because there's so many more high-level groups out there. Um, back when, I'm trying to think of the last group that won three in a row. Maybe Did Cadets, ever do it? Cadets oh, 1, oh, 2, oh, 3. The Cadets 1, 2, and 3. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's been done, and then if you look like – like actually you can like trace a line right back to where we just were one two three cadets oh four vanguard oh five cadets from there we go like 2006 was who phantom Phantom. 2007 Mm -hmm. blue devils 2008 phantom 2009 blue devils 2010 phantom 2011 that was cavaliers 2012 blue devils 2013 uh cadets cadets they got one in there then uh 14 blue devils i think Vanguard or Blue Devils, it was one of those two. Anyway, you see a pattern, right? So I'm actually like mm-hmm. not super like surprised or taken aback. And you know, I think that there are things Vanguard, Paul Rennick in general does and is able to do that explains it very logically in my mind. You know, like other than the fact that they have like a great system there, mm-hmm. the shows and the music is designed very percussion friendly. Like Paul's the musical coordinator at Vanguard. So um the work is being done front end to to tee them up and make them a very readable component of of their shows. It's it's not it's not deniable. You know, it's like you can read the Vanguard percussion program top to bottom they play well and on top of that they're staged well and they're designed well it's like you watch the vanguard show from last year and it's like if you're a percussion judge on the field it's very accessible to judge and get out in front of them uh from a drill standpoint as far as not having to navigate yourself through the brass or the color guard yeah that's right that's right and that's that's a shift in the activity that we are experiencing where you know Kick-ass drill is awesome, and it's a part of what we do. And it, I hope, you know, I hope it doesn't get lost. In, in my times are just changing. What drill looks like and what staging looks like is vastly different. You know, like you can see in the sort of striations of of the competitive thing where groups sit based on how drilly their drill is. You know, like some people are still doing drill and some people are staging and some people Mm -hmm. are, you know, it's, it's just different. So I think the drum thing is both driving and reacting to that. Like I think WGI percussion has driven DCI where it is, but then at the same time, like the DCI percussion and the sheets have not like residually really caught up yet. So it's sort of a push and pull with that. But I think Vanguard is just designed in such a clarity of intent is undeniable, and therefore they can be rewarded. They even have the they have the potential to be rewarded in the first place, which I think is super key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You're talking about drill or people who are still doing like drill, drill, just like marching. Cadets last year comes to mind. I think about the years that I marched Crown, and I think. Obviously, in my biased opinion, we had every opportunity to win a drum trophy, but oftentimes we were just like flat out running so much and weaving in and out of the brass that people just didn't get to certain sections of the show ever. Like there was there's sections I can remember that we played really well that no judge ever got to just because they couldn't. 
Right. Like if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it, doesn't make sound. Mm-hmm. You know, like exactly. You can play all the clean stuff that you want, but if it's literally not read, and I'm talking on a first read, then it's not useful to you. You know, and then you think about how much time you spent cleaning that versus these groups who tee up these moments and they're just working on their features because that's what's read every time. Um, so it, then it turns into the hours you spend cleaning because you are cleaning things that are read maybe 5% of the time. Right. So that's, that really comes into play for some of the top groups is like, they literally spent more time playing these moments that are exposed that they would get read and they were, and they're rewarded for it versus like, well, I hope someone gets out there tonight or I hope someone gets out there tomorrow night or it's like, oh, they just need another read. It's like, no, no, no. Like DCI will set, put someone in front of you at a regional or at quarterfinals or any of those nights who has never read you before. Like that will happen. So it's about the very first read, mm-hmm. which is I don't think that's present in everyone's minds all the time when we have these kind of discussions. It's like if I were a drum judge watching these groups, which are all really, really good, then – these differences matter. That becomes the differentiating factor, I would say. Just readability from a geographical standpoint, maybe. Yeah. It's definitely Makes a huge, sense. huge portion of it. So Evan, where do you want to go next? Uh, uh, well, speaking of like design, and we start kind of talking about the design elements, uh, we can kind of shift gears a little bit uh, if you guys want to. Yeah. There's been some s- staff shakeups uh lately uh people making announcements obviously blue stars have a new staff scouts have a new staff phantom have a new staff which kind of did a old dipsy do flop crossman has some staff changes uh who else in the top I'm trying to think that might be it um well cavaliers have... had a change oh yeah uh joe hobbs is no longer at the cavaliers is now at the blue coats which is that's right interesting huh, really um yeah wouldn't have uh wouldn't have thought that one was no, happening, but oh, okay. <laughs> so let me ask you guys: like, do you think this is unusual? This, this year? many staff changes? Yeah, it feels like there's a lot, and also it's kind of weird because some have like gone directly like opposite or like traded places, and I don't know. I think there's more questions in my mind of why a staff change was made, other than to just try to do something new. Like the Blue Stars one, kind of tripped me a little bit. I didn't see Eric Shriver leaving or being asked to leave or whatever the scenario was there. Um, right. Yeah, it seems well, like a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, well, obviously, like, the circumstances under which these turnovers happen are always different, but it's usually, like, one thing or the other, which is, like, the people up top weren't happy with the output or the people on the ground weren't happy with their experience, and then the change happens, right? Mm-hmm. But I think one thing that you've noted which is important and is very odd to me but also like just a pattern of the activity is like the incestuous nature of what we do it's like there's really no one else out there to teach like we're just gonna dip and dip into the same pool of people and same with the arrangers you know like one arranger having multiple dci groups or something like that like gets gets pretty funky those are two different kind of topics but no, uh, with, I don't know. I don't know what like what the deal is with like we just kind of keep dipping into the same resource, expecting things to change. I guess. Well, 
Dan, it's, it's, there's just a finite number of people that can make a living doing this. And I know Evan and I have talked about the fact that there's a lot of awesome educational talent that could really help grow this activity that doesn't do it because the money's not there. So you only have a small number of people that a lot of them happen to be school teachers, so they have their summers free. So you're going to have a small, finite pool of, of teachers you can pull from. There's only so right. many caption heads out there. There's so many, only so many people that have the ability to be a snare tech or a battery coordinator or, I mean, a horn line instructor or visual tech. Like, it's just a small pool. And until somehow, if ever, more money comes to the activity, that's just going to be how it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that I agree that there is a small number of people or that the pool is small, but I don't think it's as small as the activity makes it like Dan saying, like you have this recycled names on the list. I think one of the sweetest things that happened and it kind of came out of nowhere for probably people who don't follow the activity or people that know Travis. Um, and obviously I'm very biased to Travis. He's an awesome friend, um, mm -hmm. Travis Peterman, but they gave him a shot to do this. And a lot of people who saw that probably didn't know like his name or like his background or like, Oh, who's this dude? It's like this is caption head, blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't mean that people can't do a good job. Obviously like he has like the percussion program since he's been there has been better each year. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think there are people out there that given the shot and the opportunity, um, can prove themselves and take, make an organization better year to year. Right. I people would... are afraid to take that chance. I think because if you're a young person like Travis was with he had a good amount of experience, but some might say not enough experience to be typically made a caption head of the percussion section of a top six drum corps every summer. So I think until cores become a little more willing to take a risk on a young person to get them in there at a young age and say, OK, you can make a little bit of money to be able to continue doing this and make kind of a career out of it. I don't know. Right. Well, is one, um, yeah, I, I agree with much of what was just said. And I think it's funny that in terms of what our mission statements are outward facing is that we're looking to educate kids yet. Are we looking to educate teachers too? Mm -hmm. You know, like that's what that seems to be saying to me is we want to teach the kids and get to learn and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, but you need to come in fully loaded to like do this job that really no one knows how to do because there's no right way to do it. So it's like, well, we should be looking to like train up upper management in the staff. If, if we, you know, if, if it's lacking, let's say. Um, and then that being said, like, I think someone like Ben Piles comes to mind over at Colts and at Monarch um, who was given a chance. You know, I think he taught at spirit. I, I think he came through Mike McIntosh, blue coats, drum lines, and, like, he came and really, like, freshened up the Colts thing. He's been a big driving force there. He teaches there. He's not just arranging, which no one can really do anyway these days. Um, and then the Monarch thing. So he's working full time, um, like, similar to what Travis is doing, like, to hone his craft. And it takes that. Like, it literally takes doing it at the highest level all the time. Like, just putting yourself out there and just seeing what works. Um so I think there's also like that willingness to engage, like Mike, you were saying, like the amount of people that can actually 
logistically go on the road. Like I agree with that too. It's like, man, it's like really hard to even get in that position, you know, like what is your life? What are your life choices rather that allow that or don't, you know? So it's like a lot of maneuvering to, to do that work. It's not easy to just like, you can't just drop our, you have to really engineer your life around that. Yep. Like I would love to teach. I would love to teach, and I have other friends that marched in high-level groups that would love to teach, but their career paths just don't allow it. Right. Well, you have to be available. I think mm-hmm. that's a big thing. Is that there's a lot of people that do want to get out there, but it's like oh, I want to do a couple of weeks. Like that's it's not as as not it's not as common anymore. I would say. Like I think. Well, maybe that's just like what we try to do at Crown, but it's like if you just need to be there more. I think. I think that's a. Uh, it's really, really hard to come in and know what exactly the flow, the vibe, the the patterns, the personalities are just doing a seven gig. Like it's really, really hard at the at that level. So I think I don't know, like for us, we're, we look for people who can really do really most of the time, like maybe split it with one other person. Um, but for a caption, head, like Travis didn't leave the road at all last year. You know, I did. I think the last two summers I did 80 out of 90 days. Sean Mack probably did like 95 out of 90 days. Somehow he added Jeez. days to door. Um, but that's, you know, <laughs> that dude's crazy. He is. But then, then we just like know what's going on and you can have a hold on what's going on. So, cause I honestly, it's tough coming in and out. Like you, things change so quick. Like you yeah. already know, like it's just I would, constant. I would never want to do the sub in gig. Like if somebody called me and said, Hey, can you take like a week or two off of work? And just come in and teach this core in the middle of the of the tour. I don't think I would want to do it because it would take me half the time I was there just to get up speed with how they do things and right the, the just the procedure they follow day to day and kind of fitting in with the rest of the way the tach, the staff teaches and I don't think I'd want to do it. it, it That's kind of interesting. It could be good. It could be bad. Like I think the good thing are your ears would be fresh. Yeah, the fresh like, perspective. You will. You will literally hear things that people are there are not hearing. But I think what you're saying is true. Like, just to make sure that you've ingrained yourself in the process that has been set up is going to take you a bit. Yep. Um, if you're thinking hard enough, if if you come in and bulldoze everything, maybe you'll be in there day one, but you're not going to be well liked, right? So yeah. it, it, there is such a process at that point that you got to be smart about how you get in. So I mean, we. I, you know, we don't really do that. Like we have the people who are at the camps who are helping to pick the drum line also at spring training and on tour. And there's just lots of overlap. So, um, we avoid that problem. Sorry, Evan, you were going to jump in. I interrupted you before. Oh, no, it's fine. I just think that that's interesting too. Cause obviously you guys have that methodology, um, or practice that you have set up with your group and organization at crown, where there's a lot of people that are there a lot of time. And then when I look at some of these other staff lists, there's groups that have like four snare techs, maybe sometimes five. And I'm just like looking at them like, man, how are these people going to operate together when they're either there at the same time or not there at the same time? And a lot of them have like different playing styles and backgrounds too. And I'm just like, it's going to be interesting to see how it, how it turns out. Too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, especially, I mean, for a single section, there's got to be some identity coming at it with the teaching. Like, you have four people. Like, how are you going to find that middle grounds where everyone's really getting what they want to the point that they're 
expressing themselves and what they expect and all that. So, and that's hard. Like in 17, me and Sean Mack were both like battery manager at crown and we had to figure out what I kept and what I put aside and what he kept and what he put aside. And we worked together to make sure that we were both fulfilled and what we expected. But, and that's like two of us and we also designed together. So we were collaborating, but like, yeah, I, basically what happens people go on the road they're like hey keep your left hand down and then they leave and then someone comes in and says like hey you know your left hand should be higher and it's like okay i don't know what to do and it's dirty like Mm -hmm. that's it's probably pretty common um so like yeah the identity like not like i don't know the identity of who you choose to teach i think does kind of matter like both like personality wise and like the style right um I don't know. I don't, but I think it's tough. Like because basically, what this comes down to, like we said, is like if you can't logistically get two people to split the ninety-day tour, then what do you do? That's what you do. You get a bunch of people who can take two weeks off their job and then come in. Yep. True. 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 That's just the nature of the beast, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I I know now it is, but back in the day, like old school people would be like, you know, there was a bat- there was a battery coordinator who was the snare tech. And there was the tonal tech, and he was the caption head, and that was it. And they both also taught the pit, the end. And it's like, whoa, okay, (laughs) two people on tour, that was it. Like, you probably didn't lose your mind, right? So I think a part of it, too, is, like, honestly, like, I think drum corps become more intricate, and people need breaks. Like, if you stay on the road the whole summer and you teach every block, um, you'll get burnt out. You You go crazy. Yeah. Cause it's too intricate. There's too many details and you need support and you need breaks and, um, and you know, like, and there's whatever. pressure to produce. You've, I mean, constantly, constantly. And like, not to mention you're always on, like if you're not at a judge's meeting, then you're like talking about the next day, you're writing the schedules. And like, I just think drum corps is more intricate than what it was in the eighties and the nineties. Like I'll just say it outright. Well, the shows really are more complicated. The drills harder. The music's harder. Like it's more intertwined. I don't know. Yeah, I'll everything. No, every single, every aspect of it. You could not name one that I would say it was more intricate or detail-oriented in 1980, right? So that that's part of the task, and I think that is a reason why we see more like a, a subbing in and out um, so people can maintain their freshness because that's the hardest thing to do when you do the full tour is just stay fresh. Mm-hmm. Um so it's part of that and you know and then like it's the, the changing nature of the job market at large and how much money people need like we like we're in a really kind of depressed time economically especially for people that are like millennials who took on all this college debt blah 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 like there's a lot of like big picture moving parts that i think ultimately affect this staff list you see when there's four snare techs like what are the you know, economic ramifications of that. I think there are are many kind of, um, you know, variables that, that connect to that thing that we're saying is ultimately bad, I guess. Um, yeah. Or could be. Speaking of uh, keeping it fresh, unless you had, do you have another thought on that, Mike? Uh, no, I was going to move on, so go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of, like, keeping staff fresh and keeping them from losing their minds and staying sane, uh, DCI and Dan Atchison made a press release slash video statement today 
basically in regards of staff members not staying sane and not <laughs> keeping their minds right. Um, I guess in the press release, Dan Atchison said that DCI, Drum Corps International, was notified by a news agency that there were going to be more allegations coming out against staff members in having inappropriate misconduct with members and students and obviously people who are participating and not other staff members, uh, that that stuff was going to be coming out recently. They didn't tell them what or who or where or why or how or anything like that, but basically like, hey, this is coming to your front door. And so he made a statement saying that DCI was taking steps and doing this to make a change in the culture and to help make sure that the kids are thought first, which people obviously have disagreements with already and if they're taking effective statements. But, uh, yeah, man, it is about to be an interesting summer, I feel like, next year, even more so than it already was this past year with the whole Cadets Hopkins thing. Um, Yeah, it's going to get wild. Sure. I mean, it's funny, like, well, it's not funny, but, you know, it's interesting that he put this statement out, like, pretty much with his hands in the air, like, we do background checks and we do this. It's like, well, you did that as a reaction to a really big mess up, like a big old poo-poo mess up, which is George Hopkins as a person in total, right? Like, not only, I mean, this dude from Pio, the Roman Polanski, I think, or is that actor? I don't know that. I don't know. Whatever, you yeah, know, this pile guy, yeah, like, that's, like, like we haven't even seen what's happened with George in terms of, of those things, like how he operated the drum corps. It's only a bit about the sexual allegations, right? So it's like we're so reactive, like, oh, no, we do background. How dare this news source, like, kind of, you know, smite us or whatever. It's like, well, we it hasn't been the case up to this point. And then um, and I think just this person who I think the – the Philly Inquirer chick who um, stumbled upon this story. I mean, she is riding high, you know, like she is probably having the upswing of her career uncovering this kind of what she is making seem like this really, well, potentially is very insidious sort of kind of prop in drum corps. But I think in drum corps without a context, it seems really bad because it's about teachers and students and there's like this power dynamic, but it also gets really blurry because a lot of the teachers were like 23 and, or they were in the core and it's a senior core or whatever. Like there's a lot of like blurry lines that just aren't as distinct as other places in society. But I think in general, it's like this explosion is bigger than drum corps. Drum corps is a mere node amongst much, much larger ones in which men are being outed for basically being creepy, like, and basically being, you know, monsters or whatever. You could kind of find a spectrum between creepy and monster as you see fit. Um, but it's like we are merely one one thing amongst many, you know? So I think it becomes a problem because it's like a teaching environment. Again, going back to that, like, we are educators and they're students. But, hey, like... This has been happening in high schools and middle schools for God knows how long. We're not shutting the middle schools down. We're not shutting the high schools down, right? So that's not the answer. Like, I don't think shutting drum corps down is necessarily – it's sort of the equivalent to 
you know, deleting that troll on the internet on Flow Marching. It's like, oh, now the problem's gone. We deleted it. Like, no, like, we should probably deal with it and understand its resonances and its implications and do serious work thinking about how to go about bettering this culture. But, dude, like, middle school teachers have assaulted students and high school teachers and they've had relationships and there's been this and that and this and that, you know, and you name it. So I think we're just in. And they actually do background checks. Yeah. Legit ones. Right. They do. So, I mean that, you know, does that even mean like it's guaranteed? No, it definitely doesn't. I just think that like drum corps is like experiencing a shock wave or whatever, but really it's like, this is just, the changing of times like we are calling a spade a spade and we're saying that people have acted in ways that have made other people feel inappropriate and we are addressing that and it's not restricted to drum corps but i think because drum corps specifically is filled with people that are very reactionary and very passionate and very opinion oriented like it just gets inflated i mean this is like what we were talking about before the symbol thing it's like it gets so hyperbolized that it's like just essential. It's like, I know this and this is what this is and there's nothing else. And if you even suggest that there's another alternative, you are just as bad as the perpetrator of this thing that might or might not have happened. We just skip right to that. And that's like the internet culture. It's all that stuff. So I don't know what makes drum corps different. Like I, I wonder about that. Like I marched, senior corps when i was 14 and there were 50 something year old people in it and like you know that was that was by design that was how those cores operate so is that programmed into the culture or should we just be like well everyone should just keep their hands to themselves their eyes down how is it possible these things happen i don't know like i'm not necessarily trying to explain why the things happen that happen, but I think that there's a lot of nuance that gets lost in sort of like even that stupid post, like, you know, it's sort of just like, oh, we do background checks now, so everything's better. Like, well, we'll see about that. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, not that this is a reason or me saying that it it is what it is, or it's just it's always going to be this. But background checks and all that stuff should be implemented. That stuff's great. But at the end of the day, some people just suck. Uh, some people are just creepy, gross, terrible people, and they're going to take advantage of a situation. And then there's also, like you said, instances where it's very, very blurry, where kids are teaching kids who now is on a staff position but two years ago they were also marching with the people they're teaching it not all those cases that i'm sure are brought up are that sort of situation um but it is definitely a different dynamic than public education where you're in a classroom with a teacher who has a degree to teach and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. right i think to me the line is not super blurry but i am also 28 years old now you know when I was teaching and I was 22 23 it I I get it but also like I don't know there's there's a pretty overt kind of authoritative turn that happens when you are on staff and you're hanging out with the staff and you talk about the show and you talk about the students and you talk about how you're gonna do this thing 
I think it is very clear that if you're, if you are like cathartic and you are expressing like your teaching woes to a student that's in your group, you are just a terrible teacher. Like that's not even like rape, assault, whatever. It's like if you choose to be in a relationship with the person who is in the group that you are teaching, like your evaluative lens is intrinsically skewed. Like you are assessing the group through a relationship you have with someone in it. That seems like problematic to me on a level that's not necessarily even illegal or immoral. It's just like you are not paying attention to the show. You're not paying attention to the group. You're paying attention to this relationship. The show may happen in a, through the perspective of that person. That's really weird to me because like I there are certain things I want to disclose and talk to my students about. And there are things I do not for their and my own benefit. And when that gets erased, like as an educator, if you can't tell that, well, you're not paying attention. So I think there's just like that, like you're being a bad teacher, you know, because you are confiding in someone who is trusting you to some level and you are obliterating that trust just by letting them into certain parts of information that they should have no part in. Um and I think that is not discussed whatsoever. I don't think we ever think about that. Is that you're just being a you are being a immature teacher when those kind of things happen, whether it's sexual in nature or not. True. Very yeah. true. Yeah. Well. But, yeah. I have I have one thing I kind of want to. Unless Evan, you have something else on this topic. No, I mean. Go, All right. Go I kind of want to take a left turn. This is something I really wanted to make sure we get to. Um, this is more on the back to the drumming side of things, less on the administrative or running of organizations by all means. Yeah. Let's, let's get back to what really matters here. Um, not that that other stuff's not important, but crown plays with one of the best sound qualities across the board. I think from a maturity standpoint and a warmth and beefiness standpoint, of anyone in the activity, in my opinion, is that is the sound quality your all's primary focus all season, and then a lot of the clarity you get um, kind of come as a result of everyone approaching the drum the same way, knowing the heights, knowing all the definitions, and I guess do you guys get to where you get to at the end of the season by focusing primarily on fundamentals and sound quality and all doing that the same way? Or do you do that early on and then later in the season it's a lot of, hey, this chunk sucks. We have to detail this a lot. Or is that a smaller portion of what you do? Sure. Uh, I don't know if I can answer this super perfectly. but I know that was I a mean, long think, question, but... I, <laughs> I think we try to find that median. I think we try to be a group that draws from what the other groups do really well, and we want to do all of that. You know, like, I think that the Vanguard's dynamic system really works and makes them on a caliber of that range that most people don't get to. So I want to figure out how they do that. And I want to implement that. That's something that they do great. So for me, part of that change was not using heights at all. I would not use numbers as heights. I would use dynamics. Um, 
So I wanted to speak in a more dynamic language so that we were thinking about the music as music and not as numbers and not as math. Because when you're live, you don't really know what the height is. It doesn't really matter. And in fact, judges don't evaluate heights or really uniformity of technique whatsoever. That being said, something that we do care about is the uniformity of approach and not so much the look of the hands, because I think we've accepted more that people's hands look slightly different, mm-hmm, but that the sure. mechanics and that the reaction and that the what is happening in your hands is pretty similar person to person. You know, like we really, I think early and when we learn the music, like we are very detailed. Like I think we try to be as detailed as possible up front um, so that we have the definitions. Like no doubt, like we do have it defined it's not a free-for-all and we also have like an entire like visual aesthetic component that is really important to us this is specifically how we flow in our upstroke versus our downstroke it's it's a little bit different than what some people do i teach like a basic controlled upstroke where your downstroke is as fast as possible and the upstroke is as slow as possible within the rhythmic structure so that you're essentially winding up and pitching the stick into the drum head as fast as you can, Um, especially at a higher range. Once you get lower into the pianissimo and piano ranges, there's slightly less velocity involved. So you're not getting that rubber pencil look. Um, But really, I guess what I could say is that what we are trying to do and we are continually trying to do at least since i've been here is to converge the best of every world that is out there which in many ways means obliterating some of our fundamental philosophies to adopt other ones like i always was taught heights um i was taught x certain ways and by x i mean variable not rhythm x but x y z certain ways but we have picked up and you know different kind of schools of thought just by the people that we work with year round so I would say we focus on the aesthetic as a huge priority, but the aesthetic is derivative of an approach that yields sound quality. So you look good because you are flowing through the drum well, which is making you sound good. Mm -hmm. And so it's always oriented towards sound production and it's always about playing in a homogenous sound and having flexible ears that are shifting in the environment and being the ultimate musician and drummer. But I think what it comes down to is creating a great sound. Um, and I think that is clearly reflected in the way that we are evaluated on the field is half the time the judges can't really look at you like that. You probably look, the nuances group to group are almost unnoticeable in a first read. So the sound, though, is not. I think the sound is readable because you can hear it regardless of if you look. And in fact, you can hear it somewhat better if you don't look, right? So I think we're trying to capture sort of all of those different methods and all of those different priorities, because why not? But I do think that the visual aspect is something that important and it drew me to the activity. I really think that the hands looking and flowing good is important, but I think that framing it as a means through which you get good sound is the difference. And I think that's the mistake people make is like, well, your hands have to look good. Well, why? Because it looks good. Well, I don't really care. Rather, like, your hands have to look good. Why? Because if your hands flow in time, you will then play in time. Um, so that might be the the short, probably the really short abridged version. But we 
are trying not to get locked into a single system because why is anybody, I guess, is what I ask. So that's been Tom, that's been Travis and I and Sean Mack and the techs. It's been working with the people that we work with. Like We work with Matt Penland at George Mason, and we have learned a tremendous amount working with him. He's the quad guy at Vanguard, and he works, I think he's in the Navy band. Hopefully I'm not misspeaking. I'm pretty sure he's in the Navy band. But just hearing him talk about his approach, I mean, like we picked up so, so much of that, and it was essentially because we were just willing to listen and saw the value in that and didn't look at it as like, well, Vanguard is that crown does that and devs do that. And cadets do that. Like that is some really useless thinking. And I think many people are stuck in their individual identity and their individual approach, but for no really good reason, you know, unless you are literally three peating, like we were talking about, you can improve and change. So I think we're always looking to evolve and incorporate the things that we like out there, you know? So I think that's why I th- we have that sound, but we're also trying to play the licks, but we're also trying to do the body. Like we don't want to leave any stone unturned. So we're going for that fresh kind of hybrid thing that isn't out there. At least in my mind, I've, I want to, figure out what's missing and then fill in those cracks. That's been important. I think in the last couple of years for crown, at least. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because I think the biggest thing you were saying there that resonates with me is talking about do the, why do the hands look good? They look good just to look good. Like me playing snare drum next to say either of you guys, if we all look the exact same, the chances that we're producing the exact same sound is probably less likely because our hands are built different, our arms are built different, like our entire bodies are built different. So if we're moving the exact same, then the likelihood that we're creating the exact same sound is probably lower because what it's going to take for me to play with the exact same sound as Dan or Mike is probably going to move or look slightly different just because our mechanics are different. Yeah. That's right. And the sound is is after the equal sign. Like what you do in your equation doesn't matter. It's what do you sound like after? What do you sound like as the output of your approach? So not making that the priority seems very backwards to me. Um, even though I think the look is important, it's like we are playing music. So lest we forget that, we're playing music and it, I think the point about physiology is really important. It's like, why are we going to try to fit circles into squares? Like, Hey, your hands are going to look slightly different. I think rhythm X was really good about this. It was like, not really about, you know, you turn your hand like this, your left hand, blah, blah, blah. it wasn't that it was like, no, like soft hands, like universal grip, basic, basic tenants. But it was like, Whoa, yeah. Like we can all, interpret that our own way and it works back of the hand you know whatever so um i think people get too detailed with the with some really small finite technical things and it really basically does nothing so sorry if that offends somebody but i think that's true no i i agree with you definitely i don't with the kids that i teach at the high school level i never really harp on oh well your hand moves slightly differently than his i just talk about the way they hit the drum and that'll with young kids especially i feel like that'll get you over halfway to where you want to be from a clarity standpoint 
if you get them hitting the drum the same way and feeling time together and interpreting the rhythms correctly together, you're almost all the, all the way there. Well, and with young kids too, I think that my approach is to ask them questions as much as just give them answers. Like, all right, what'd you feel? Fast, slow, loud, soft. What did you hear in the rhythm? Like, like asking them questions to self-assess themselves. So, I mean, obviously they can't see their hands when they are playing, at least the, especially the vantage point that they see it from is completely different than what I see as an educator. So I'm like, all right, what do you hear? Are your hands bounced? Right hand ladder, left hand ladder, this, that, this, that. So I think it's really just about using your ears at the end of the day, like Dan said. And, and the judges are doing that too, like especially in drum corps. They're running around with those headsets. That half the time they're not even looking at the drum line. They're just trying to navigate their way through the core, through the drill. So they're just listening without looking. So, Right, and the thing with all these drum lines is we all do the aesthetic component pretty differently. So if you are a high school kid who, you know, has gone through the ranks of a couple drum lines and you've learned how to play like super great, like your sound is awesome. Your rhythmic accuracy is awesome. Your awareness of your own self is awesome. Um, and you show up and you like have a little slice in your right hand. Do you think that you're going to get cut? Like, no, like that's, those are the things that are addressed really at that last 5% level so it's like, yeah, I mean, if you focus on getting the slice out of kids' hands and then the sounds that are coming out of their drums are alien to music, what is the point? I don't understand. Like, cool, they're not slicing, but it sounds like paper being torn, right? Versus <laughs> like, hey, like, oh, that dude kind of has a slice, but this, and this dude's like bottom finger, sort of come in and out, but like, it is clear. Like, that just seems sort of obvious to me at this point, but I know that I came up in a area where it was like beads in the center 90 degrees blah 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 like all these rules it was like do i sound good and honestly like that was one of my faults i think was i wasn't focused on the sound i was producing as a player i was more focused on like the look and the, those kind of things and i don't know i just i think it's all about finding a balance you know i think for crown to like circle back it's like we are really trying to be like every man's drum line and by every man i mean like the you know every man whomever like I want people who don't, who think they don't like Crown to like Crown. And I want the people who mark Crown and who like the old school Crown to like Crown. Like, I want to find that area to live in because then we can be just people be fans of us, you know? Like, and that's, I think that's cool. And that's different, I think. I think the tenants that Crown used to operate on were slightly different and we have definitely changed a bit. Um, you know, I think we might have talked about last time, like doing all the body like that's just it's it's different. You know, it's different. We we are trying to upheave drum corps in general. How about that? <laughs> oh, yeah, I like it. I'm definitely a fan. I never even marsh crown and I like what you guys are doing a lot. Well, I like what you're doing because it's good. I mean, obviously, yep. I'm not an old school crown, but I'm definitely a previous version of crown than what it currently is but good is good at the end of the day so right i mean like that's the thing like can we like how close can we get to being objectively you know that's that's the mark is like if everyone likes the blue devils they're doing something right so i'd rather be that than be like oh like they're so niche no one gets it like that's not good yeah not what you want. <laughs> well we got anything else we want to hit on or you want to wrap it up We've been going for about an hour and eight minutes. Yeah, I'm I am good. I'm spent. I feel like we could probably keep going, but 
we'll no, just we can... we'll just do this again at some time. Yeah, we'll. Yeah, we'll I think there's the definitely road. more topics out there, but uh, yeah, I don't want to <laughs> exasperate all of our. No, uh... you, you, Dan's definitely an interesting enough guest that as things happen throughout the rest of the year and next year, we'll have him on again for sure. It was too much fun. We'll. Hell and yeah. we need an excuse to hang out with him. We don't get to see Dan very often because he's on the East Coast and we're in the Midwest. I know, it'll probably be April when we all meet up. Yeah, yep. Oh, probably. true. Are you, well, do you guys make it this way for any WGI shows? Like, no, we're we're not. We're doing Richmond and New Jersey this year. We're not doing Dayton. So, oh, unfortunately, okay. Mason won't be yeah, out there. It hasn't, be... been, hasn't been super useful for us. Like, we haven't been ready. So, we really want to gear up for It's a long WGI haul, thing. too. Yeah, it's a it's long a whole, travel. And, like, we just need to get red, but we more so just need to rehearse and make sure that we are sparkling. So um, we just we just decide to stay local this year. So we'll be out for finals. I feel you. Cool. Yep. Cool. Well, you guys are taking over the East Coast. Got a got a well, got a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Monopoly. Creating a monster between your George Mason and Crown connection and marriage. You've kind of set up pretty cool i appreciate that it's all about consistency though yep. so we got to you know like last year gmu got in the finals two years in a row now we got to make it three and then for travis and i they'll be five years in a row in wi world finals so that's where it's at it's just trying to do it year after year yep. so i i look forward to maintaining that yep we do too look forward yeah, to watching and being fans well Let's close this out. So I'll remind everybody again, subscribe to the YouTube channel, follow the podcast on Spotify and Podbean. We're still working on iTunes. Um, I'm in the middle of my graduate semester, my final one. So I'm going to try to make myself find some time to attempt to get us on iTunes again and get that all figured out. Um, the marching band seasons are now over for, for Evan and I. Well, my last weekend is in a couple of days, but we'll start to be a little more consistent, I think with these podcasts. So also like the Facebook page, uh, follow the Instagram account and we will see everybody hopefully in two weeks with the next episode. Peace.